Good morning, Veritas. My name is Mark Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of bringing God's Word to you this morning. And we are in about a, a six-week series on the wisdom literature. And so we're getting into books like Psalms and Proverbs. And so um, we're in Psalm 37 this morning, and I'm going to go ahead and read the passage to you. Um, this is Psalm 37, and I'm actually just going to read the first 11 verses and uh, we're going to, I'll explain this psalm, but, but Psalm 37, it's, it's kind of a long one. Um, and so we'll be reading the first 11 verses here. This is Psalm 37, Instruction and Wisdom, a Psalm of David. He says, do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong, for they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. Making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm for evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land a little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. So for those of you who are new to the Bible, uh, the book of Psalms, it's, it's got the silent P, it looks like Psalms, but it's, it's Psalms. And the word just means praise. These are poems, they're songs. They, there's, there's rhyme and meter and what you would study in an English class. And this particular song has is basically an acrostic. Every other verse begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so there's, there's some rhyming and different things that, that don't come out as well in English that you would get if you knew Hebrew. But basically, these are songs that express emotion. When you, there's something different from uh, reading a history book and maybe singing a song, right? You get a, you get a different experience. One, there, there's, a, there's an emotional encounter with the music and it's kind of a, a taste of the heavens, if you will. So that's kind of what the Psalms give us is, is a way to express our emotion. And this Psalm is packed with emotion. Now, this psalm is, is different from a lot of other psalms because it reads almost like a proverb where it's like practical life instruction, how to live your life. Um, but, and like other uh, proverbs and like other wisdom literature, it really presents two potential paths, okay? And if you could just imagine the stage, um, the path over here to this side, let's just pretend... This is one path, and this would be the path toward wickedness, let's say. And it describes the wicked. The wicked are like this and do this, and they're headed this direction. And on the other side, you have the righteous. And the righteous have a different destination. They're on this path. These two different paths that, that this describes. Now, here's the, the emotional tension that we find in Psalm 37. You have to... And, and this is why um, the Psalms are so good to, to read these often 
and I don't know if you have a habit of, of reading the Psalms, but these help you connect with God at an emotional level when you're just feeling anger or anxiety or whatever. And here's what Psalm 37, David is inviting us into this tension of, in verse 11, he, he's looking at the people on this path toward wickedness. And here's what he's observing. He says in verse 11 that they are prospering. He says in verse 12 here that they use good people for their own selfish gain. In verse 14, we see that these wicked people are abusing the poor. Verse 21, it says they are borrowing and not repaying. And in verse 32, he's saying they hate righteous people. So, so the tension of this is I'm trying so hard over here to follow after God. I'm on a path where I'm trying to make good choices. I'm trying to follow Jesus Christ. And, over, and I'm looking over there at that person going the other way. And it almost seems like they are better off than me. Like I'm over here grinding a life of obedience toward God and I'm suffering and they're over there prospering. And they're almost like using my good intentions, my love. They're just like using righteous people and they're prospering even more because of it. So he says, I'm agitated in verse one. He uses this word, the Hebrew word is heated. Like there's steam coming off. It's the red character in Inside Out. That part of you that's got the controls is like, oh, this is not right. There's anger. Why do the evil go unchecked? The rich get richer, the powerful get more powerful. And he says, um, don't envy those who do wrong. There's also a tendency here to, to, as I'm walking this way and I'm seeing them, I kind of get jealous. I want what they have. I want their life or I want out of my life because theirs looks better. What, here's a question of this, this psalm. What benefit is there in doing good if it's going to make your life harder? Coach Dermody uh, on, our, on our pastoral staff team, he hangs out with athletes a lot. And there was this guy that gave his life to Christ and, uh, and Brian was, was discipling him, meeting with him, doing Bible studies. And, and something happened like, and maybe he was, he was dealing with an injury or something and, and he, he started following Jesus. And then he came one day and he's like, he's like uh, Brian, I, I think I'm done with this whole Christianity thing. And Brian's like, well, what's up? He's like, well, since I started following Jesus, my life got harder. Like other people on the team that aren't following God are actually doing better. Like since I started following God, I've, I've lost playing time. My stats have gone down. I'm, you, you know, and this doesn't make sense to me. Like it would just be better for me if I just didn't care about God. My life would be easier. It would feel like less of a burden. So I'm out. And I think a lot of us, we kind of interact with life and God this way. There's like this unspoken formula that we believe. And the formula goes something like this. And it's a, it's a formula that God must abide by. It's the formula that says, if I'm good, good things should happen to me. 
And when it doesn't, when God's not following the game plan, I'm doing good and good things are not happening to me, what happens? We get mad. That's not right. And it almost seems like the opposite is true. To, to David as he's, as he's writing the psalm like, and also the people who do bad and don't care about doing good, their life seems easier. Okay, some of you may have, have felt this and, and it, it feels like God has let you down in some way. Like I was just minding my own business, following God, and this bad thing happened to me. This bad thing happened to someone I loved. Maybe I stepped out in faith. I trusted God or I trusted this person or whatever and something really disappointing happened to me. I may have been better off not following God. Maybe you felt that way. You trusted someone because that's what love does and they burned you for it. Maybe you didn't lie, you didn't cheat, you didn't go down the path of self-promotion and slandering your coworkers, and you didn't get the promotion. Everybody else kind of stepped on top of you, and now here you are at the bottom of the ladder. Maybe you gave sacrificially, and now because you gave, you don't have the money to go on that nice vacation that you see that all those other people have. Man, think about it. If you as a Christian didn't tithe, like you would have 10% more money. You would have so many more hobbies. Like your life would be, I mean, think about all the things you could have if you just took that last 10% of your salary and didn't give it. You could have that new car. You could have that hobby. You could have that vacation. And you're looking out at people who don't give a rip about giving to their church or whatever, or charities or anything. And they're just like doing fine. Maybe many of you college students are back and getting settled in. Maybe over break, like you didn't go out and party with your friends. And you sat alone because of it. So you're basically lonely because you're not on that path and you feel isolated and alone. Maybe you look out at the injustice in the world. I'm trying to refrain from too many Africa illustrations because we just got back from, from Zambia. But in Africa, there's a nation where the newspapers uh, found out that there were about 40, I think it was like 48 mansions that were being built around this city in Africa, but they didn't know who the owner was. Well, they traced it back to the president's daughter. And the president himself has like a $65 million mansion in another African country on the coast or something like that. And this is one of the poorest countries in the world and the people are starving. That makes me heated. Like you can start to see steam come off. And this psalmist is telling me and us, oh, don't get angry when that happens. 
Now, he says in verse one, don't be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. Don't want their life. For the reason not to be agitated, verse two is, they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Now, some of you who were here last week are saying, tender green plants? I thought that was last week. I thought that was a good thing. That, remember, Pastor Jeff was talking about their leaf does not wither in Psalm 1. The person who's following God, their leaf does not wither. It's green. And here he says, yeah, they wither like tender green plants. Well, the contrast that he's setting up here in verse 1 is, it's like a in the climate where they lived, it's like a desert climate. And so they were in the desert, like flowers would spring up and then the heat would come and you get, you get some rain, boom, flower. And then a couple scorching hot days and all of a sudden the flower's gone. Just wilted up, dead, it's gone. So here's the contrast. This there's a person that kind of pops up with life and comes and goes versus someone who's living securely and is kind of unfazed by the heat and, and that. So it, it's kind of the question. Last week, Jeff was talking about sequoia trees. Remember the, these huge, massive trees that are like, live to be like thousands of years old. Um, the contrast here is kind of the question is like, would you rather be a tulip or a sequoia? The tulip, it's like, wow, that's pretty for a day. And then it's gone. Whereas a sequoia is like, has life and it's deeply rooted. This is the contrast. Someone's life who is like, vanishes like smoke versus someone whose life is secure and anchored. Verse 20, and, and this is, um, let me read some verses that I didn't read earlier, but verse 20, it describes this wicked person that says they will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastures, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. Just, they're gone. Verse 28, for the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever. Not just for thousands of years, forever they're kept safe. The righteous, verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it. How long will they dwell in the land? It says permanently, permanently. There's a sense of eternity. He uses this language of where the righteous person is headed, their destination is permanent and their life will go on forever and they're safe. So if you're taking notes, I'm gonna tell you some things that you already know, but the psalmist is reminding us of those things. So there's three things I want you to remember. The first thing I want you to remember is remember where these two paths end. Remember where these two paths end. Now, some of you are maybe new to the, the Christian faith or maybe you're not a Christian, somebody invited you or whatever, and you're just kind of like here checking it out. You're kind of standing at the crossroads, if you will. You're, you're sitting in your chair and you're looking at the two paths I'm describing. The path over here is wickedness. The path over here is righteousness. And, and I want you to stand at the crossroads and I want you to look. And I want you to look at where these two paths end. The psalmist is saying, 
this path of wickedness may be prosperous. It may be the American dream, but it's gone like smoke. And this path over here is the path toward heaven, the path toward glory and wisdom. This is wisdom literature. Wisdom takes the long view. Wisdom looks at the long view at the destination. So we know the end of the story. We know how this turns out, right? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in Jesus Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found, right? That song we just sang, if that's you, you are in Christ. How does your story end? How does your story end? Well, your story ends with death. And then, resurrection. Like, you will die, and then you will live forever with God. It's amazing. Death followed by resurrection. So for you, Christian, who is suffering on this earth, this is as close as you will ever get to hell. That's great news. Like this is as bad as it gets because you're headed toward glory. You're headed toward heaven. Now let's think about this. If you are without Jesus Christ and you are on this path and life is good for you, like you're enjoying your life, you are prospering, but you are headed toward destruction. If you are without Christ, how does your story end? Well, just like the Christian, your life ends with death. And then after death, your life continues on, separated from everything that is good, from everything that makes you smile and laugh and give joy, because God's the creator of all those things. And he's not where you're going. And that's where you're going. And so the bad news for you is this is as close as you will ever get to heaven. Like this is as good as it gets for you. This is the picture that the psalmist is giving us. And it's kind of like this. The wicked are on this massive cruise ship I've never been on a cruise. I hear they're awesome, right? All inclusive. I mean, as many drinks, as much food, it's comfortable. Uh, it's, it's great, I guess. That's what I hear. Some of you may have had bad experiences. Everyone got sick and what, whatever. whatever. But this cruise ship, like people are having fun. But here's the thing. This, the people on this cruise ship are headed toward an iceberg. We'll call this ship the Titanic. And they're enjoying the ride. They are having a great time on the cruise ship. Now, the righteous, the righteous, we are not on a cruise ship. We, on the other hand, are on this rickety pontoon houseboat. You know, some of you guys have seen that. Like, I don't know. We're like river people on the Mississippi. You know, we got this rickety old pontoon 
houseboat. And we're kind of looking over here at these people on the cruise ship. And every once in a while, like we're just like headed this way. And sometimes we even pass these, these people on the cruise. Like we pass going the other way. Like we're going this way, they're going that way. And sometimes they're in their yachts or cruise ships or whatever. And they're kind of laughing at us like, look at those people. Look at those poor little Christians like floating along. Look at Psalm 37 verse 16. He says, this is hilarious. He says, he says, oh, but the little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. We love our rickety little houseboat because we know where we're going. And we're happy with what we have. It's what God's given us and we're headed this way. Um, I had a friend who lost his job and, and he had to appear on a conference call where he's sitting in his bare unfinished office uh, next to the person who like got his job in the office that he designed in this plush office. And you know, he just smiles like, man, but God has been so good to me. Like, I'd rather be in my unfinished office space in my house or wherever, like, than in a plush high-rise overlooking New York City or whatever the, the picture is. Here's a question. Can you be content with what God has given you? Sometimes it's, it's embarrassing when you float by other people that are prospering and they're not following God at all and they look at you and you're, you're just like, you're kind of wondering, is this worth it? Is following Jesus Christ worth it? Those people look so happy. And he just says in verse three, he says, trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. This, this phrase, live securely, some of your, your translations have a little note next to that verse uh, that says cult, that word, uh, live securely could also be translated cultivate faithfulness. I think that's a, that's a, a good translation of this, this idea in Hebrew. It's like, it's like, take care of your own garden. Like, look at the land that God has given you and just like work the soil of your land. Cultivate faithfulness. Like, be faithful with what God has given you. Because, and here, here's the point, the, the, the first thing was remember where these two paths end. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is remember this. Remember the source of negative emotions. I'll explain this. Remember the source of negative emotions, what he's describing here, this, this anger or envy. Here's the point. Remember the source of negative emotions. Trying to control things you can't control. 
Remember the source of negative emotions, trying to control things that you can't control. So if, if you're looking over at a wicked person who's prospering and that is your focus, you're focused on the wrong things. You're looking at the wrong things. If all you can focus on is their cruise ship and their yacht and all the things that you don't have, you're looking at the wrong things. Um, that person, by the way, you can't control other people, right? And when you're agitated, somebody's making you mad. Like, you can't control their actions. You can't control their success. You can't control what they eat. You can't control their job, what they do, whether they lie, cheat, steal. It, you can't control that person's life. Here's what you can control. You can control where you put your trust and where you focus your attention, who you look to. He's saying, trust the Lord. Dwell in the land and like take care of your own business. Cultivate faithfulness, your own land. Like I can't control them, but I can control whether or not I do good, whether or not I stay faithful, whether or not I stay on the path. That's what I can control. And when your focus is on all the things you can't control, your life will be a mess. You will, your soul will never be secure. So he says in verse four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. And, and again, he continues this idea of delight yourself, you. You can't control if they do, but you, yourself, delight in the Lord. Commit your way. I love this word, commit. It's like this idea of like rolling off a burden, rolling off a burden onto God because it's like I'm giving this whole thing to God, my life. I'm taking my life and, and I'm just giving it to him. I'm committing my way to God. It's like, I'm saying, God, I'm headed this way. So here's my life. I'm going to cast it on you and you are going to control the outcome of my life. It's not in my hands. My focus is on you and you alone. So here are my two options. Two options. Option number one, I can stew over the things that I can't control. I can sit on my little boat and I can just get mad. Well, you know that person? You know how they got that yacht? They stole it. You know how they got that mansion? They stepped on all these poor people and just took their money. They got the power. They got the fame. You know, they cheated on their exams. That's how they got into this program. That's how, whatever. And I can just stew over it. So option number one is just stew over the things you can't control. Or... Option number two, delight in God. Delight in God. Just keep my attention on God and just focus on who he is, what he's done for me. He saved me. He loved me. So those are my two options. Option number one, I can stew over what I can't control. Or option number two, I can delight in the God who controls everything. And the way Look at verse, uh, 30, or verse 12. He says, The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. 
It, it's just this idea that God is in control, God is good, and the question of the psalmist, do you believe that? Are your eyes on Jesus Christ this morning? The psalmist saying, you know, he's gonna work it all out in the end. He's gonna figure out the judgment part. But you, this morning, do you trust God with your life? You know, this psalm in a word is about security. Is your soul secure this morning? Is your soul at peace? Or is it anxious or worried, fearful, depressed? Just because some of you, and I know um, many of you, and this is, this is a hard season, honestly, like this, this time of year, like the sun is not shining as much. It's, it's hard to be happy in the winter sometimes. And some of you, like it, you're struggling this morning. You're, you're not at peace. And the psalmist is, is telling us to, even when you don't feel it, you can commit your way to the Lord. You just roll your life onto him. Like he's the only secure thing there is to trust in. So I want to end with this, this thought here. The third thing we need to remember is remember how a secure person lives their life. Remember how a secure person lives, okay? Um, and just a couple, a couple things I want us to be thinking about. Uh, the first thing, how a secure person lives, okay? The person that's headed toward glory, toward heaven, who's following Christ. This person, there's a freedom in their decision-making. There's freedom, there's freedom in their decision-making. And I, I want to just tell you how this, these verses have been meaningful to me and, and why I'm making this connection here to decision-making. Many of you, like me, agonize at different points over this question. What is God's will for my life? What should I do? God, what do you want me to do? I've got these choices. I've got these two choices or these four choices or whatever. And it's like, I don't know what to do. God, what do you, where do you want me to go to college? Where should I go to college? I mean, that seems like a huge decision, doesn't it? Am I going to go here or here? I, I remember agonizing over that in high school. I, question, I was, the second question I agonized over is, should I marry this woman? Should I marry her? Is it God's will that I marry this person? I agonized over this question, should I move to Iowa City? Is it God's will to stay where I'm at or move our family to Iowa City to start this church? That's, those are huge questions that I feel like I want God to tell me what to do. I need him to speak to me. And these verses were so meaningful to me. Here's why. For those of you that are just have asked that question, what does God want me to do? These verses will be helpful to you because what is God's will for your life? God's will for your life is that you transfer your trust completely to Jesus Christ. 
that you commit your way to Jesus Christ, that you get in that boat headed toward glory. That's God's will for your life. Now the rest will fall into place. That sounds so unhelpful because you're like, yeah, so about the big question that I was asking, should I marry this? Or like, what do I do? Well, here's the verse that I, well, I put this, these verses in our wedding program because I was praying about this. Should I marry Letha? And, and Psalm 37, five through six, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause, like the noonday sun. We put that on the wedding program because I remember this is like, we are going for it. We're making this decision. Neither of us knew for sure is this God's will, but like he loves God, she loves God. Let's do this together. We're headed the same direction. Let's, let's do it. Let's get married. The biggest, and here's my experience. The biggest decisions in my life, where to go to college, who should I marry, move to Iowa City. I never felt absolute clarity about any of those decisions. I never felt like God is telling me to marry this person or do this thing, right? I've never, I have not experienced that personally. And my experience has been Verse four, he says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So here's kind of how decision-making works. When you're delighting in God and your passion is for him and his will, Psalm 34, 7, 4 is saying, but just kind of do whatever you want to do. Like you're headed the right place. Just make a decision. Do whatever you want. St. Augustine, this, this old uh, pastor, theologian back in the like fourth century, long time ago, he was preaching on first John, on the book of first John. And he said, uh, he said this quote, once and for all, I give you this one short command, love and do what you will. Isn't that good? His advice is basically, here, here's in a summary, what is God's will for your life? Love God and do whatever you want. Because if you're loving God, you're going to do what righteous people want to do. And for me, my experience is that God often doesn't speak to me in what I think are the big things, but he speaks to me in the small things. Like, I don't know if I should marry this person, but I definitely know I shouldn't be lazy. God's like speaking very clearly to me, Mark. Stop being lazy and take out the trash. Hey, Mark, you were a total jerk when you made that comment. Like that was so selfish and arrogant. You need to go back and apologize. Like God's voice to me is crystal clear on those things, right? So my experience has been, I don't always know if I'm in God's will, but I always know when I'm not. Has that been your experience? You just like those things where it's like, hey, Mark, you are headed the wrong way with this, okay? This isn't, like, oh, you could take this job or that job. This is like, you're going for money. You're going for greed. And that's not where you're headed. That big purchase that you want, that think you think is going to make you happy, it's, you're, you're on the wrong boat. You're, we're going this way. Remember where we're going, Mark. That's like, I hear God speak clearly in that stuff. 
Okay, but if you're headed the wrong direction with your life, and you're, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will? Like, if you're on the Titanic, does it really matter how much you like your job? You know what I'm saying? Hey, mom, I landed this sweet job, man. They're paying me big bucks. Oh, yeah? Well, where is it? It's on this ship called the Titanic. You're agonizing over God's will, but your life is headed the wrong direction. And this morning, the call is pretty simple to just turn to God, give him your life, trust in him. And when you're on that path, um, the rest of your life will fall into place. Uh, there's so much other good stuff in this psalm. I, I it, more in my notes, just scratch the surface of the goodness in this text. I would encourage you to, to spend some time in this, but, but I hope that, that this morning your appetite is, is kind of awakened to, uh, your desires are awakened to, to the reality of God and the goodness of God. And if, if you're headed this way, and you've had some of these feelings and thoughts, I just want to encourage you, keep going, keep following Jesus. And you're not alone. I mean, this is David, one of the greats in the Bible that, that is encouraging us that in these emotions that we have to, to turn our attention to Jesus Christ. So let's pray together as we close our time. God, what I, what I desire for us this morning is a joy in giving our lives to you, Lord. A joy in trusting you. God, I pray that, that as we worship, that we would delight ourselves in you and we would see where we're headed. I pray that you will remind us in worship who we are, who, who you are, and that we would just want Jesus Christ more than anything in this world. God, help those who are struggling. Help those who are just, they feel those negative emotions and they don't want to live in it. But it's just so hard. Help them to, this morning, just, just roll off their burden onto you. And lift them up this morning, we pray in your name. Amen.